The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC and welcome to those of you joining online. We're glad you're here today. Just want to give you a real quick update. Um, I like to do this when I get new information about the, the building project because I think you need to be in the loop. And I want to share my heart with you on this whole uh, venture that we've been on. And so I, I've like, man, it's starting to dawn on me very clearly that um, there's, a, there's a real spiritual force, I think, at work trying to impede this project. Um, and boy, I found myself getting really frustrated uh, this last week because I was expecting to have the, um, the cost estimate done by the, the general contractor that we've partnered with and the Lord sort of led us to which is Harmon Construction, and they sort of had a hiccup in their business, and Tim Harmon, who is a believer that I, I've connected with, and I thank the Lord for that, he, he let me know, you know, that, hey, um, it's not going to happen this week. It's going to be the 21st of o- October, and boy, I tell you, I was, I was really frustrated. I, I shot off an email to the advisors so they could help me, and I wouldn't lose it. <laughs> Just kind of let them know what had happened, and that it was going to be a little bit further, and and the guys were really encouraging, said, you know, we're just going to have to wait. And so I needed to respond back to Tim because he had said, if this is acceptable. And, you know, in, in my flesh, I would say, no, it's not acceptable. <laughs> and, but there's really nothing I could do about it. And so I waited, and I was talking to the Lord, man. I was just talking to the Lord about this thing and praying and, and laying it before the Lord about, man, Lord, I need you to, I need you to move in this. Like, I, I, I need help with this. And lo and behold, just about 30 minutes after finishing my time with the Lord um, on Friday, uh, Tim called me, <laughs> and he wanted to talk a little bit and about it. And I listened to him, and he explained the situation that happened. And man, the Lord just sort of, he prompted me, and, um, and he t- prompted me to share my heart. And so I just opened up. I said, Here, here's what I want you to hear, Tim, uh, a couple of things. One is that... I trust you, like, I, I, I fully trust you, and I, I, the reason I have the confidence to be able to say that is because I sense the spirit of the Lord in him, and in one sense, we're, we're family, we're spiritual family, because he knows the Lord, and then I said, here's, the, so I said, basically, like, I'm entrusting OPCC to you right now, and I, I trust that you are going to do what you can to expedite um, the, the project. And I said, the second thing I want you to hear is that it doesn't matter how many projects that you have on your board, there's not one more significant than this one. <laughs> like, that I don't care what you have on there, like, this one is going to pay eternal dividends. And I believe that with all my heart. I believe that the, the Lord is going to use this church. I believe that from the time that I've come here and I've pressed on and, and continue to believe. And the Lord is at work, man, and there is an enemy trying to impede that. And, and the third thing I want you to know, Tim, is that of all those people that are on your board and all those projects, I, there's not one client that's praying for you like I am. And so I'm going to just trust that you're going to be in there. And what was really cool, man, is that we ended up talking a little bit more, and he, I, was, I let him know I was finishing up some work on a sermon, and he said, man, can I pray for you? And he prayed for me over the phone. And so I was really thankful for that because I knew that, man, I can... I, I feel like I've got somebody that's in the kingdom that's a part of the project. And so what I want to ask you guys to do, 
because I, I've really, like I've been praying for this, praying about this for years, really since I, I moved here and became the pastor, I've been praying about this project as just taking time to what is it gonna look like. And, uh, and so, but, but I've really sort of amped it up recently. And so what I wanna ask you to do is pray uh, for Tim, pray about this project, pray about who we partner with, pray, just, just lay it before the Lord and ask for, for the, him to give us wisdom as we lead through it. We say, well, why is all this so important? I'm going to tell you why it's important. Like, America is jacked. Like, it's just, right now, it's, it's messed up, man. Like, we're facing some uncertain and troubling times. And I don't know, like, you, I, man, I love this country, okay? I don't, like, I, I love being a citizen of the kingdom first, and second to that, when it comes to citizenship, is I love being an American. Like, I, I'm proud to be an American. I'm thankful for uh, who we are as Americans. I, but I, but I scratch my head and I wonder sometimes, how in the world, how in the world did we come to this place, to where we can't hardly get along? Um, it seems like we're so far from uh, the worldview that I have of what is truth, and it baffles me, man. It, it, it baffles me as, as to how far people could be so far away from the Lord that I know when he's so good to me. Um, and I'm like, what, what is going on? Why, why is there so much hatred um, toward uh, the, the, the Judeo-Christian God of the Bible? And I don't get it. And I, I start to scratch my head and wonder what in the world is going on. Well, today we're in Micah chapter 2. And we're going to be in chapter, don't want to make you nervous. Like I, I wore my Chiefs um, uh, shirt because I wanted to say, right, like I wanted you to see it before you hear me say, we're going to be in Micah chapter 2, 3, and 4. <laughs> and so I am very, fully aware that there's a game today, but we're going to be moving around, okay? Because it took me a while to see this, and the Lord really showed me something um, that, that he wanted to communicate uh, to, to the body. And, and, and so I want, I want to encourage you in this. And, and when we think about the, the America and what's made her so great, it has been the balance of power. It's the balance of powers that has made, made America so great. And so we, in our government, if you remember back into your government class or you pay attention to how things work, we have three different branches of government. We have an executive branch that implements a plan. They come up with a campaign plan and they run on it. And if we elect them, then they begin to try to implement that plan. And so they're responsible for the plan and the operation of the government and the programs that exist within it. They also are responsible for enforcing the laws uh, of our country. And they're responsible primarily for protecting us from enemy invasion. And so that's, that's the executive branch does those things. And then we have a legislative branch. And we know that the legislative branch makes the laws. And so the executive branch enforces the laws, the, the legislative branch makes the laws, and they decide whether or not to fund the program. So these two branches have to get along and work and manage together because it doesn't matter what the program is. If the legislative branch doesn't fund the program, then the executive branch can't implement the program that they ran on. And then finally, we have this judicial branch, and they have 
the power to declare laws unconstitutional. So they look at the laws that the legislative branch passes and that the executive branch is supposed to enforce, and they determine whether or not in this particular situation a citizen is being taken advantage of because what is being done here is unconstitutional. So these three branches work in conjunction together, and they balance each other out. And the, parent, the president has power over the court by being able to appoint justices. And so we've seen that. We know that's the big thing in the news today is the president is wanting to appoint another uh, justice to the Supreme Court. Congress has power over the president and the court. If they get out of line and they think that something's going on that's unconstitutional, then they have the power to impeach and remove these people from their office. And so we have all of these checks and balances, and there are other things that go on, the veto and so on and so forth. But as we look at that, what we see is that we ultimately come to what makes America great. It is, it is the people's government. Because when we look at all of these institutions or these branches that have these powers, then it comes to the people who choose who's going to be trusted with that authority and that power to do these things as the Constitution says they're supposed to be done. And we exercise that power over all of these people that are in these positions by going to the polls and we vote and we choose these leaders and we put them in, in office. And you say, man... What are you talking about? I thought I was coming to church. You just get ready, bro. All right? And so if the, if the government runs the way it's supposed to run, and it's run justly, and it works to protect people, that's the whole purpose. And so when we look back even at the founding of our government, what was happening was the people made a long journey, and many of them died, to flee what? oppression. So they came to a place where there would not be oppression, and they tried what, they have, what has been known as the great experiment when it comes to America, and it has worked, and it has been something that has been designed um, to allow for people not to be oppressed, and that's what happens when um, the government is run unjustly. Then oppression takes place. Who gets oppressed? the people, okay? So in Micah's day, there are three similar branches of government that existed. And so that's where I'm headed with this, um, is that there were courts, there were palaces, and there were temples. And in these courts, palaces, and temples, you had justices, you had rulers, and you had prophets, or prophets and priests that were discharged with the spiritual um, authority within, within the, the kingdom or the community or the nation, whatever. Now, what makes it different is this was a theocracy, okay? We are a uh, democratic republic, but this, what we're looking at today, was a theocracy, meaning these things came from the hand of God himself. And he said to uh, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation, and then we go on in time later on, and Moses is raised up, and he becomes a prophet and uh, mighty in power indeed, the scripture says. And God gives him the law himself. And so God gives the law to Moses, and Moses begins to implement it um, with the people. And so when we look at this form of government, it is a form of government that has come from the hand of God itself. But it was corrupt in Micah's day. And so when we look at Micah chapter 3, if you'll follow along with me here, 
This is what it says about my, uh, the, the government in Micah chapter 3, verse 11. Her leaders judge for a bribe, her priests teach for a price, and her prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. Okay, so the, 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 the different rulers that were in these branches of government that had received this authority, they had shifted. And now they were making all their decisions based upon profit, power, and prestige. And, and they were doing it all in the name of the Lord. It says they lean on the Lord. And they communicate that no da- disaster shall come upon us. And so they, they tried to draw on the rhetoric and the power of the Lord himself and his kingdom to lead the people astray in all these different areas in order to maintain their own power, their own profit, and their own prestige. So the people, in turn, because it was corrupt and unjust, are the ones who end up getting oppressed. And so as we begin to unpack um, chapter 2, 3, and the first few verses of chapter five, uh, 4, we learn some very important things. Now, when we, when we hear this verse in chapter 3, verse 11, that uh, we see that oppression is a terrible sin. So in the eyes of God, when people are oppressed, it is a terrible sin. This is why when Jesus is asked, what is the great commandment? He says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. Like that is the first and greatest commandment. He's quoting from the Shema, which comes out of Deuteronomy, which was the law of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Uh, Love him with all your heart and all your mind. And so that's what Moses told the people to do. Then Jesus goes on to say, the second one is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so as God or Jesus in the Uh, God in the flesh communicates uh, to us as people in history. He says to us, the most important thing uh, to me is that you love me with everything that you have, according to what I've taught you, how to love me. The second thing is, is that you treat each other the way that I would have you to treat each other. So whenever people are oppressed and that happens, then what takes place is that it is offensive to God. And so this is the nature of uh, the situation of the culture of Israel at this particular period in history. And what does the Lord say through the prophet of Micah? In verse 12, he says, Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound of overgrown thickets. I'm going to level you. I'm taking you all out. Now, now, now you got to think about this. This is God raising up one prophet, putting his spirit in him to go communicate a message against the corruption. Who is he talking to? He's not talking to the Philistines. He's not talking to the Assyrians. He's not talking to anybody around them. He's talking straight to them. These are his people. This is his nation. It is a theocracy that has gone corrupt. And he says, because you are so corrupt, and there's one verse, I don't have time to go into it today, but one verse, if you read it, you'll see that it's past the point of saving. And he says, I'm going to level it. I'm going to have to clean it out. And so the judgment of God is going to fall on Israel 
because of this. And so what we learn in these, this section of scripture uh, from the prophet Micah is we learn a lot about oppression. And I think it's important for us to see it. Here's the first thing. Oppression takes place when justices pervert justice. When a person who is responsible for executing justice in a situation perverts justice, then what happens is the people are oppressed. Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. So the prophet communicates to them in very vivid language, and he says this. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You hate good and love evil who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones, who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces, who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. That's pretty strong, okay? What is he saying? He's saying, look, you're feeding off of those you are responsible for defending, that's, that's what was going on, is the people who were in charge of executing the justice. Now, wh- who were these judges? Well, if you read back in the Mosaic Law, you will find that the nation of Israel, boom, blew up overnight. And all of the people started coming to Moses. And they were saying, man, they were bringing all these problems to Moses. And Moses couldn't keep up with it. And so his father Jethro visited one time, and he observed all that was going on. And uh, he was not an Israelite. And as he's looking at Moses doing all this, he says, what you're doing is not good. you got to figure out a new system, bro. So he sort of was like, had a mind for a director of operations. So you got to change this stuff. So she, you need to appoint some judges. You need to appoint heads of every tribe to make judgments on these smaller matters. And if they can't figure out what to do in this situation, then they can bring the larger ones to you. And you can make a judgment on that. Therefore, you can continue to do what God has asked you to do, which is to be a prophet to all the people and not try to do every single thing. And so in that instance, we had these leaders who were raised up that began to make judgments in the nation of Israel. And they would judge all on all these matters. And so we get to Micah's day, and th- these are the same type of rulers. They're the, the leaders of these, he- the heads of different families uh, and people groups. And so they were, um, they, what they were beginning to do instead of think about the people when they made a decision is they started taking bribes and making decisions based upon who could reward them the best. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like our legal system? If you have money, you can get out of anything. If you don't have money, you can't. You just might. It just depends on how it all shakes down. And so so there was corruption taking place. And so what he says is you're feeding off of the people that you are supposed to protect. And when this happens, and we look at this, we begin to wonder, are there consequences for people who do this? Because it feels like there's not. Does it not feel like that? And what is going on? Like, I'm trying to do the right thing. Are there consequences? Well, there are. Look at verse 4. He says that when they cry out. So, so he's referring to that prophetic word when he says that the nation will be leveled. Like things are going to fall apart. And they were. They were, they were leveled and they were carried off into captivity. He says when this happens, then they will cry out to the Lord, but what? He will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. What's that tell us? That they didn't care anything. These rulers didn't care anything about mercy. 
And so when they cry out to God for mercy, guess what they're not going to get? Mercy, right? So there will come a day, I don't know exactly when it will be, but there will come a day that anybody who did not offer mercy when mercy was warranted will give an account to God, and that's what they will receive from God is no mercy, okay? Even the believer faces two separate judgments. He faces a judgment of when he will be brought before the Lord, and it is the great white throne judgment of whether or not you are saved. It is the separation of the sheep and the goat. Jesus talks about it. The wicked um, from the righteous, the, the tear from the wheat. Over and over, Jesus talks about this, and that is, do you know Jesus? But there is a second judgment that is also described in Scripture, and it is when we sit before the bema seat of Christ himself, and he executes judgment on the believer, not the unbeliever, about what you did with the resources that were entrusted to you. So you can be a believer who doesn't offer mercy, which is kind of hard to imagine, but I suppose it's possible, and you will face judgment for that. And that's why the scripture says, be careful how you judge because that's how you will be judged. So it doesn't just totally um, uh, relieve any responsibility from us as believers because we are covered by the blood of the lamb. We still are people who make judgments and Christ will look at us and he will make a judgment about us regarding the judgments that we made as believers. He will make a judgment about us first as to whether or not we're believers or unbelievers and then will come the second judgment. You say, well, what does that matter? It matters everything because he's going to determine what you do throughout all eternity, okay? And so... That's a different sermon. You know, be careful or we won't make the game. Okay, so the, first of all, oppression takes place when justices pervert justice. Here's the second thing. Oppression takes place when prophets lead people astray. Look at verses five through seven. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. So what were the prophets doing? The prophets were prophesying for profit, okay? Um, so if somebody rewarded them with material blessing, they would prophesy a good word for them. If they would not reward them with a material blessing, they would prophesy a hard word for them. And so for us, it would be, well, if you give to the church, the preacher will prophesy a good word over you, and if you don't, he will prophesy a bad word over you. Okay, that's, that's what was going on. And so uh, there was a lot of preaching going on. This has really helped me because I scratch my head about false prophets today, and I wonder, how in the world can this happen? It's happened throughout history. And so there was a lot of preaching going on. But the problem was is that they prophesied peace when there was no peace. And they prophesied prosperity when the impending fall was coming. And that's why God raised up Micah and he raised up Isaiah at the same uh, time period and these other guys, Amos, and they started proclaiming with the power of the Lord and they were able to um, uh, prophesy in a way that the people could trust. And so it's, it's what we learn from this when it comes to uh, a teaching People, especially for people who do what I do, or people who, anybody, but especially for someone like me. Like, when we go back to this judgment thing, a person who takes an office like mine and becomes a pastor of a church, then the scripture plainly teaches that I will be judged with a more strict judgment than you are. 
because I study and teach the word to God's people. So I am held to a standard in the eyes of Christ that is higher because I have accepted a responsibility of teaching God's people about what? What he is like, not what I want him to be like, not what culture says he should be like, but what he in fact is indeed like. Okay, so, so here's what Jesus, like Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 18, verse 6. He says, and I'm paraphrasing, it would be better for you to have a Volkswagen tied around your neck and you thrown into the lake and drowned than to teach one of these people to err in sin. Now, he didn't say Volkswagen. He said millstone, right? But very large object. He said it better that if you just, you just threw yourself into the ocean and drowned and took your existence out than to exist and begin to lead people astray. And what's worse is these guys did it for money and power, and they knew better. They knew better. So we're not talking about pagan prophets. We're talking about the prophets of Israel, people who belong to the nation of Israel, the prophets and the priests and the teaching that they were discharged to do. They knew the truth, but they preferred to teach lies. And friends, that is still happening today. As a matter of fact, it's happening today at such a, a crazy pace and people are drinking the Kool-Aid. It's just mind-boggling. It's happening in our own community. One of the most influential churches in, in a, a particular denomination is right here in our backyard. And it's happening right here, okay? I'll let you guys figure out who I'm talking about. And so here's the thing. We ask, are there no consequences? Are there no consequences? And there are. And here are the consequences. Look at verse 6. Therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will cover their faces because there is no answer from God. So what's the consequence? When the destruction comes and they really need a word from God to help the people, there will be no answer, okay? You say, wow, that's nerve-wracking. Well, it is. That's why it's so important for people who do what I do and, and take the office of a pastor. They take it seriously, and they are bound by the very word of God, and they teach the word of God so that when destruction happens to any people, they can call upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord will give a word. And I hope that you can appreciate the fact that when you come to church here, I'm not just looking to give you some kind of self-help talk. I'm trying to teach you the word of God because that's all that really matters. Like, if not, I should have just been a psychologist. And that's not what I am. I'm a preacher of what? The word. I'm not just a leader. I stand as a representative to come and bring the word to you and challenge you to say, look, this is what it means to walk in obedience to the Lord. And when I'm failing to do that, then what happens is when real destruction impacts us and I go to seek a word from the Lord, there will be none because when things really come off the rails, nobody wants to hear anything about self-help. They want to know, what do we do to turn this around? And I fear, okay, I'm not making a, prophet, a prophecy here, okay? I'm not a prophet, I'm a preacher. But I fear, like as I look at America, 
that destruction may be coming. Like how could God look down favorably upon the way that we act and the way that we're living? And these are serious times um, that we want to make sure that we are not part of the problem. And the next thing we see is that oppression takes place when rulers distort all that is right. Look at verse 9 of chapter 3. Hear this, he says, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. The, the rulers were discharged with what? Their job was to oversee and eliminate the practices that were happening that was causing the oppression of the people. So the ruler's job was to ensure that the priests and the justices did their jobs the right way. But they didn't. What they started doing is distorting all the truth. And they started making up their own truth. And they started telling people all kinds of crazy things just to control them to get the world to be the way that they wanted it to be. Have you ever seen a time in your life ever before where, where truth has been distorted as it is today? Like right now, people can't even tell what sex they are. Why? It's because it's been distorted by the leaders. And the leaders are feeding people and feeding a system and saying, man, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Like we, 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 so the truth is constantly being distorted before us. And so that's what was happening in Micah's day. And, and they used justice and religion for what? To get rich and gain power. And so what do we learn about them? Well, we know that when it all comes crashing down, as their job is to bring order to the situation, they will only find chaos. And so that brings us to the final um, part of oppression. Oppression takes place when people tolerate it. People who tolerate false teaching and corrupt leadership are just as guilty as the false teachers and the corrupt leaders. Now I'm going to refer you back to chapter 2, verse 11. Watch this. Micah says, if a liar and deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, that would be just the prophet for this people. I can't believe somebody didn't say amen. <laughs> what is he talking about? Well, wine and beer, they, that, that was all about pleasure. When, when the wine was plentiful, that was a good harvest season. And when they had these things, it, it, it was indicative of some pleasure. And he says, man, all you are about is pleasure. And if you can find a prophet that just says pleasure, 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 he's exactly the prophet that you would want. They allowed it and they funded it because it made their lives acceptable to themselves. And so when you ask yourself, why do people put themselves in these positions where they're allowing themselves to be instructed by a false teacher? Because that's the right prophet for them who's prophesying plenty of wine and beer, making their lives acceptable to themselves. And that's what was going on in Micah's day. It was making life justifiable. That's why you will always find a, 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 another church that, that, you, that will fit with the way that you want to think. But you know what? Who cares who, how you want to think? Who cares how I want to think? We want to think like God thinks. That's why when we're transformed by the renewing of our mind, we take on the mind of Christ and we start thinking like Jesus and not like ourselves. 
If we start thinking like ourselves, then we end up with the mess that we have today in our country. And so we look at this and we see that people are responsible for putting up with it. And I would say, as we look at America, I would say that is even the problem. We have put up with it. We have put up with electing the leadership that we've elected. We have put up with putting people in positions of power. And we, we, like, we look at, you look at America and you scratch your head and go, man, is this the best we can do? Like, isn't there a little bit better out there? And I fear that it is because we have taught our children, even in the Christian home, that the only thing that matters is money. And so when it comes to making decisions about right and wrong and compromising, they're only looking at the bottom line. If I go to this school, I can have a better resume, which will lead to a better job, a better income, a higher place in society, instead of getting on your knees before the Lord and saying, where am I supposed to go be instructed and let my mind absorb truth from? See, we... We, we think that just because we go to church, we have, like, that's all it takes. It's not, that's not at all it's about. We are the church. And so we are to be functioning in a way that impacts all of our lives. And so it doesn't take a rocket scientist to see the similarities to the state of Israel and the state of, Mer of America today. And what we learn is that the framers relied heavily on the mosaic system to create our system. Now, I'm not saying that they were trying to make America a theocracy. It is not a theocracy. But they relied on this system that is described today. That's why there is a picture of an image of Moses that sits over the speaker of the House of Representatives, which represents the people, which is to remind us that there is, that there is inspiration behind this system of government that we have. So he looks over all of the representatives right over the shoulder of the House of Representatives and there are 22 other images that are picked, depicted that are all looking toward him. This is why we have pictures of Moses within the Supreme Court and so on and so forth. It's because it is the system that we have today was the, the framers of our system and our government relied heavily on the Mosaic system to develop what we know as America which is really nothing more than a constitution and a declaration and a system of government. And so when we say, I don't like the government, it's your government. It's yours. It's mine. And so however it runs and however messed up it is, guess who's responsible ultimately? We are. Because we've tolerated. it. We've put these people in these positions of power. And we just go on about our lives making our money and we've, they've never heard from us. How many conversations have you had with your representative in this city? How many conversations have you had with your representative in this state? Do you know who your senator is in the state? And then going beyond to the um, like, like your state senator, and then you got a national senator. And so we see, man, whoa, wait, what, what am I doing here? What am I doing? I have a responsibility. And so we go, whoa, what, what do we need to do? How are we to respond to this? Well, this is really cool, I think. We need to break out, okay? And watch this. Go back to chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. 
And Micah says this. And what's cool about Micah is as he talks about all these problems, there's always a remnant with, of, with God's people. There's always a people that, that God is protecting, he's going to bring back in. And, and even in today's time, the church would be that remnant. We are a part of that, okay, that what, he, what he's doing on the earth. And so what he says here is he, he encourages people as all this stuff is like pressing in and they're like, geez, man, maybe I ought to tie the millstone around my neck, you know? It makes you kind of feel that way. Well, he says this. I will surely gather all of you, Jacob. I will surely bring together the remnant of Israel. I will bring them together like sheep in a pen, like a flock in its pasture. And the place will throng with people. The one who breaks open the way will go up before them. They will break through the gate and go out. Their king will pass through before them, the Lord at their head. So the people are all locked up in a pen. They're being oppressed. They, they're crying out. They don't know what to do. And what does the prophet say long before Jesus ever shows up? It sounds very familiar, doesn't it? The sheep are locked up. A breaker makes a way. The breaker becomes the head. And we turn to John chapter 10, and we read this. In verse uh, 7. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. But I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will, uh, will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. There's the oppression. The thief comes to oppress. I have come to give life. And so whoever your life belongs to ind indicates whether or not you're living a life of oppression or not. You're being oppressed by sin. You're being oppressed by um, the, the influences of this world as opposed to being oppressed by the breaker who is the good shepherd who leads us out of the pen into the good pasture. And so what happens is when he breaks us out, he leads. <laughs> and he gets to lead because in Jesus, guess what we find? Prophet, priest, king, judge. And it's not broken anymore because he's perfect. And so he is the prophet who tells us how to live. He is the priest who instructs us in the way to live through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He is the king who grants us a pardon and we are no longer uh, giving a penalty for our sin. And he is the judge who will look over us and make a decision about how we lived our lives and what we did with him. He puts it all back together. He is the breaker. Now, the big idea, and here it is when I say break out. When we go up, the word of the Lord will break out. Okay? That's what I fear is not happening in the pulpit today. Is there are too many preachers that are coming up with creative talks. They're not going up so that the word of God can come out. And so they're not fresh. They're just teaching people how to have great marriages and teaching them how to be great parents. And these things are all good, okay? But if you teach people how to go up the mountain and meet with God, they will be great husbands and great fathers and great mothers and great wives. And so like, that's, where it's, that's where the root issue is, is learning how to break out. And so I'll refer you back to our text, and we close in Micah chapter 4. I wanted to do 1 through 5, but it wouldn't fit on the page, so we'll stop at 2. In the last days, watch this. In the last days, what are the last days? I've taught you throughout this series. The last days started when Jesus was born. 
Up until this point, the scripture talks about in the last days, in the last days, in the last days. When we get to Jesus, the New Testament writers, you know what they talk about? The day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord. So we are in the last days until the day of the Lord. And the last days are everything that leads up to the final consummation of the age, the day of the Lord when Jesus returns. You say, well, when is that going to happen? How long are the last days? I don't know, but they're shorter than they were yesterday, right? (laughs) So that's the life we're living. He says, in the last days, like where we're living right now, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may what walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And what does the Apostle Paul say we are? Now, I know there, there, there's always like this stuff going on in the Word where there is a forecasting of it happening, but there's always a shadow of it happening in the now. And so, like, the temple is always a, like, it's a shadow of what is actually happening in heaven. And so when we look at this and talk about the mountain of the Lord and people streaming in and out and the Lord in the last days teaching people how to walk in their paths, the church is the shadow. <laughs> like, He's talking about, like, when we look at this, man, when we go up, the word of the Lord will break out. And he talks about one thing that we gain freedom from is spiritual ignorance. Like, we don't have to be ignorant when it comes to spiritual things because we have a prophet, a priest, and a king who makes judgments in the world. And he indwells in us, and he will teach us how to eat the word and consume it and apply it to our lives. So we have freedom from spiritual ignorance. We have freedom from want. He goes on to say in the following verses that um, every man will have his own vine and fig uh, fig tree to sit under. What is that? That's that's about contentment. Uh, He says that, that men will desire, they will beat their swords into plowshares. Why? Because they will desire peace with other men. Before you meet Jesus, you can kind of be feeling like it's just to um, take advantage of someone. But when you meet Jesus, you're like, man, I don't want to take advantage of anybody. I want to follow and honor the Lord. So you have a desire to be at peace with them. And then finally, he says the fourth freedom is we are free from fear. (laughs) So when things like the coronavirus happen, we shouldn't be people who are stricken with fear. When we learn that we have a terminal illness, we should not be people who are stricken with fear. When something happens to us that kind of shakes us up, we got to back up a minute and we got to go, wait a minute here. Doesn't the scripture say that I don't grieve like the rest of men do? That I have the hope of the Lord living within me? And so see, when this happens and we have these freedoms from want, the freedom from fear, the freedom from ignorance, the, 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 the desire to be at peace with all men, then guess what happens? The kingdom starts breaking out and that's what it looks like. And as the kingdom breaks out, then our kids start to look at us and go, man, I'm noticing here in my dad, he doesn't live like my friend's dads do. And I hope to God that that's one thing you guys can recognize from me. It's that my decision-making process is not based upon the things in the world. It is based upon the Jesus whom I've met and fallen in love with and has totally revolutionized my life. And so I... My, my kids, I hope, can look to me and they can go, man, this is what it means to be in love with the Lord. This is what it means to be able to walk in the power and demonstration of the Spirit. 
And they would go out into the world as leaders, and I pray over them that God would raise them up as leaders within the kingdom that would go and make a difference in the world. I don't care how much money they make. My desire would be that the people in the kingdom would come out and they would go serve, man. They would serve whether it be in the kingdom um, of the church and, and inside the church or whether it be out in America somewhere or any other place in the world and they would just represent the king. And they would take these leadership positions and they would make decisions not based upon profit and prestige and power, but on what is just and what is right and what is good. And when we start turning out children like that, we will turn America around. But as long as we keep turning the kids that we are turning out, we will get what we've got. It's not the Republican. It's not the Democrat. It's not the Libertarian. It's not the Independent. It is the people of God breaking out of the kingdom that will make the difference. I'd invite you to bow in a spirit of prayer and say, what does this mean for me? Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.